Well, I mean, you know, the interesting thing about that is what we're doing right now is that this technology that we're able to do right now kind of really bailed us out as far as us. I mean, musicians and composers and authors and those of us that do podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, and things like that. Without that, wow, it would have, wow, we really have been difficult. It was difficult enough. But uh, I started an album, you know, before the pandemic. And fortunately, because of online, I was able to finish it. You know, we finished it like, you know, kind of like virtual. Uh, and, uh, you know, the same goes for the book and the same goes for all these, uh, you know, podcasts and Zooms and things. Other than that, I, I don't know. I tell you, because I've noticed, um, you know, just in myself, but, I mean, uh, we're kind of like we've lost a little bit of our kind of sharpness. You know, there's no question because we've been, you know, locked up pretty much. So it's good that we can get back. Brain fog is the word that people are are referring to it. And it, and it is exactly. a symptom of both people who have gotten COVID and also just people who have been sort of disconnected in the way that we have for so long. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I did a show, uh, you know, we haven't done a lot of shows, but I did a show le- about two weeks ago in Florida. And for the first time, I forgot my stage shirt. <laughs> I opened up the suitcase. Uh oh. Oh, you didn't pack it. I didn't pack it. I mean, so that's that's usually the first thing that goes in is what you're going to be on stage with because that's the reason for the trip, you know. <laughs> so I realized, oh boy. Well, better tune in. Better tune in. How important is a stage shirt? You know, in terms of just sort of being in the right frame of mind. My manager likes me to dress up, uh, in his words, like a rock star. You see. So uh, basically, uh, if I don't want to hear him. <laughs> I dress up nicely. I mean, I always dress yeah. up nicely. The point is that being casual, you know, it's a different era now. And, and, and you know, like in, in, in the old olden rascal kind of like 60s days, you know, people were just getting into the fact that, you know, like you could go casually on stage. And then they took that to the extreme where they didn't even, they had like a T-shirt on or something, you know. So it all depends on where you're working. If you're working in a casino and they expect you to look presentable. So we always try to look presentable. The casino thing is is a lot more in line with the way that things were when you were starting out. I mean, p- partially because you, you did, I think, had a residency in Vegas early on. But even beyond that, all of the 21 and up shows that you were playing, there was a certain level of presentation that people were expecting. I, I, I totally agree with you. That's how it is, you know. And, uh, you know, it's true because uh, the younger people, you know, they, they shouldn't go in there in the first place. <laughs> what little money they have, they should keep. That was a formative experience for you, though, playing Vegas, the Desert Inn? Yes, it was. It was really, a, you know, a, you know, it was an awakening because, you know, when, when you come from a small town, I, I did not grow up in New York City. I grew up about 20, 20 minutes north and, uh, you know, I had a good childhood, kind of sheltered in a way, you know, but when you get out to the, you know, to the Desert Inn and you get to the, and I was working from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the uh, lounge with this uh, lady from uh, from Canada, actually. You know, I was backing her up with a few other musicians. And I saw and heard these stories about people like losing everything. I mean, literally, they're plane tickets home. And, uh, you know, it, it made an impression on me. A lot, a lot of the uh, famous, uh, you know, like entertainers of that day would come in and, and they, you know, some of them would give me advice, stay out of that room, kid. <laughs> you know? So I, I, I really learned a lot. In a sense, isn't there kind of a gamble to basically dropping out of medical school and deciding that you're going to play music for a living? Very much so. 
very much so and and that was a you know really important part of my uh my 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 years because of the fact that uh, I was able to seek out some answers from a guru from someone from India a swami you know Sachidananda an actual guru a, a literal guru an actual guru and and you know that was one of the first first questions that I you know kind of queried him on to say help <laughs> what do I do you know, because, uh, you know, I, I mean, the story is, 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 is pretty simple. You know, when, when you're a medical person, if you've got a degree, say it's an MD or a PhD or something, or a doctor or a dentist, in my case, my family, you're a dentist until you retire. However, you better keep making hit records or you disappear into the one hit wonder universe. Certainly there's no risk of, of the rascals of being remembered for one specific hit. Even having had a string of hits the way you did, it's still, that's not a momentum that you can keep up forever. No, it's impossible to keep up forever. Now, you know, like I said, I'm very fortunate that I've been able to kind of keep going, but you know, not very many people do. And, and when you're young and you kind of like look at that slippery slope, I don't know, I guess you can't ignore it. You know, if you ignore it, I think it's foolish. So anyway, I, I sought out some advice, and and the advice that I got was was very interesting. I don't know if I I should share it with you because he told me uh, he said, "How how old are you?" And I was I was early twenties, and he said, "Well, you're very lucky." And I'm paraphrasing because you know he he didn't use my vernacular, but uh, he said, uh, "It usually you don't find out till everything is a crock until you're much older." So I said, you mean everything? He said, yes, everything. Pretty much what's happening is you're looking outside when you should be looking inside. Because the outside is all containing these pitfalls of, well, gee, I'm a doctor, but I'm a, I'm a lawyer, but I sure don't want my kid to be a lawyer. Oh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you hear that so many times. That's because it's, it's inner. It's not outer peace. You were already at that point in your early 20s where you were, I don't know, if disillusioned. Is that the right word? Yeah. That's the right word. You know, think about it. I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, um, you know, you, you come out into the so-called recording world. And, 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 and I got this in my book. I have this as far as like, you know, meeting older, older artists, you know, especially like, you know, black artists, R&B artists, which I was part of at, over there in Atlantic, saying, what do, you, what do you mean you guys have no money? What are you talking about? You know, and they would say, little brother, you got to wake up, my man. I mean, it's one thing to make money. It's another thing to get it in your bank account. And I said, what are you talking about? You know, and so I found out that a lot of these artists really never got paid. You know, I mean, they, they, you know, I don't know if you've read or heard about Tommy James. Tommy James, well, I remember uh, he wrote a book about it. And basically, I, I mean, I paraphrased like this. <laughs> He didn't get a royalty check for his music until the 90s. And Tommy James was a white artist, so that was a different sort of... That was less systemic, cultural, and more record label. Well, the black artists didn't have a chance, but I mean, the, <laughs> they didn't have a chance, at least. But I mean, uh, Tommy Tommy uh, was working, uh, and the only reason he could put out the book and say that, and the only reason he got paid is because the gentleman in question passed away, you know? And so he didn't have to worry about being erased. <laughs> the character from The Sopranos, the friend, uh, uh, Hesh, who's based on um, a lot of those 
the lawyers or the kind of the publishers at the time who essentially just took all of the, just got all the royalties, which as we both know is where all the money comes from. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, you have to be careful. And, and, you know, basically, uh, you know, the, the thing today that I I really think is very different is they have these music schools now where you, you get educated a lot more than just going out, you know, basically from, you know, being a college student or whatever, because you can find out a lot about this. Uh, you know, there was a book around, it's probably still around called This Business of Music, which is how I ran the group when I first started. It was written by two or three different accountants and lawyers. And it was like a Bible of what to and what not to do in the business. You had to make sure you, you, you paid attention. You were that savvy that early on that you were really kind of running the back end of things? Trying my best. You know, I mean, most of us, you know, I mean, you know, most of us have this right brain, left brain kind of thing, you know, but at least I was educated so I could read, you know, (laughs) so I figured, let me read. You were pre-med. I mean, you know, clearly you've got a, you've got a brain in there somewhere, Felix. Well, you hear all these stories, you know, like, and and you say, well, okay, let this, let me do my best. It's, it's impossible. I mean, social, uh, social media today and, and, you know, like the internet, I'm sure I could have got a lot more information today than I could have then from this book, you know, cause you can get contracts, you know, they, they don't actually give you advice. You have to kind of dig in, find a subject. Let's see page 342, uh, you know, managerial contracts, you know, things like that. It's just a big help. And, you know, uh, it, there's a kind of naivete about, you know, a lot of musicians. I mean, not present day. I think present day musicians are a little sharper. You have to be because there's no, for, for a majority of them, there's no record label to do all of the heavy lifting. Like you need Correct. to know how to do every aspect of the business. Yeah, it's a different world now. And, and you know, as I say, just on a musical level, I mean, when you, when you go to a music school now, you really learn, you know, I mean, down here we have in, in Tennessee, we have, uh, uh, we have, uh, this, uh, Belmont University, which has uh, become a real really good uh, music. Oh, I'm sorry about that. A uh, music school. And, uh, one of the turtles, uh, is, uh, is one of the professors there. And he, and, um, for all of the uh, people out there that are listening, if you want to hear a real great expertise on management, Google the turtles management video on YouTube. It's not only true, but it's hysterical. Is that Flo and or Eddie, or is it one of the yes. other members? Yes. Yeah, he, he's over there. He's been there for a while, and, and he's—I think—he's taken over the department. So it—it it, it started as a songwriting, you know, course, and it, and it ended up into a musical business course. So you know, it's—it—you really will get an education from somebody like that. Certainly, you see that you see that a lot. You know, whether it's academics in his case, or people, you know, moving on to working with a publisher or a record label, but but finding another role sort of within this the music industry because you know obviously it's the industry that these musicians know the best. But you're living on music for all this time. Yes. How did you manage that amazing feat? I read the book. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, no, I, but I, it was—I I mean, is as simple as sort of as as making sure you own the publishing. Well, it's it's just—it's it, it, a simple thing to know that it's another thing to accomplish all these things because you know, especially when you're part of a group. Because you see, th- this is a. Uh, th- th- this was my education period in life because I used to be a communist. You see, and we were all equal, and then I realized mm, I don't know if that works. As a matter of fact, it doesn't. You mean specifically in the context of a band? I mean specifically in the context of one man, one vote. That was a mistake. Because what happens is your weakest link says, well, I got an offer to go to Japan. It's a long story. I have this in my book where 
things are really happening. This is in the 60s. And one of the, one of the royalty members said, you know, that's too far. So now you don't go. Now, you know, a lot of zeros have disappeared from your potential bank account. So now I understand that, you know, maybe, maybe in heaven that works, but on planet earth, you got to pay attention. I mean, if you're in charge of your own career, first of all, you're very lucky. Second of all, if you have good advisors, second of all, you're very lucky. You know, advisors, oh, that's so hard to find. You know, I didn't find seriously, uh, uh, with all due respect to past tense, uh, uh, a manager until very recently, within the last 10 years. I'm sure there were plenty of people along the way who wanted to be advisors, but actually finding somebody who you can really trust is another matter entirely. Trust and talent. You see, because, uh, I mean, it's just my opinion, but I, I think a lot of the real, you know, people who have the kind of intelligence and you know, capacity to do this marketing-wise, they don't want to put up with nonsense from a rock and roll artist. They'd rather go to Wall Street and make zillions, you know, because a lot of people, they, they mistreat their, uh, their management. You know, they, they really, you know, abuse them to a degree where, you know, say like, oh, I don't want to do this. So we lose a lot of really good talent. And I assume that for those who actually do go down that path and become managers, uh, finding somebody who actually respects your opinion is also difficult. I mean, they probably assume that you're, you know, you're in a rock and roll band. Clearly, you're not going to be making good decisions. It's my job to sort of step in and make all of those business decisions for you. Well, you know, the difference today is, is, is very seriously, like in terms of like uh, Taylor Swift and Garth Brooks. Let me tell you something. They don't make too many mistakes. I mean, she started really young, you know, and, and and I think that's what a lot of this comes down to. This is this is you know you had that issue. A lot of these artists early on. You're talking about people who, who 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 in the world is making good decisions at 19? She's made certainly good decisions business wise. Let me tell you, she's. I'm very impressed. I mean, I'm sure she had help from you know someone. I'm not sure who. Garth Brooks, another one. I mean, my God. I mean, he was a marketing major, but it shows the the moves that they make uh, are, are pretty intelligent, and 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 they they pay off. But as I say, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. I don't know her story too well, but early on, you know, I think about like professional baseball players when you know when they when they start out, a lot of them are fifteen, sixteen, and that's not too far removed from rock and roll stars. If you're in a band and somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm going to make you a big star, kid." you're probably going to make some bad decisions and you're probably not going to, you know, read the fine print necessarily. Yeah. But as I say, there are exceptions. There are exceptions and they're more current than past tense. In the past, there were people like, believe it or not, like Sam Cooke and Otis Redding. These people really were way ahead of the, way ahead of the game in terms of like, you know, uh, being aware of things such as production, record companies, production fees, et cetera, like that. They were really sharp. They're also no longer with us. I believe it, but I think what you're kind of getting at is is what we were talking about before about um, particularly in that that time, how difficult it was to be a black artist and to actually make a, a living off of it. When you had that eye-opening experience, that conversation, what was your reaction? Was there, Did you feel that there was anything that you could do sort of within your power to try to make things better for black artists? Yeah. You know, basically uh, it was a wake up, you know, I mean, specifically uh, my case was, I was the only one left Sam and Dave, you know? Yeah. I mean, just like, it's just like, Hey kid, wake up, you know, because I mean, I like, Oh man, how cool is this? You know, basically what it was, it's in the book also about the blues brothers, you know, they, 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 
their whole thing. And I said, man, how cool, blah, 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 blah. And I said, hey, hey, little brother, let me tell you something. You know what? The money's gone. It's not going here. And I said, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean it's not going there? I mean, and, 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 you know, like it causes you to, you know, just grow up. That's really what it was, grow up. And as far as helping, well, the only way that I could really make any kind of dent in that is, is, is I, I established this policy of having a, a – I really wanted to have a black artist open up for our shows. That happened as a result of a group that opened up uh, for us once time, and, and I think it was Young Holt Trio or something like that. And they, and they came backstage and they said, Phil, thank you so much for having us on the show here because you have no idea – how important it is us because they weren't really an R and B band; they were like a pop band. Yeah, soul, you know, organy, not super dissimilar right. from what the Rascals were doing. And so I said, "Wow, we don't get a chance to play for black artists. You don't get a chance to play for white artists. Let me try this." Well, it caused a lot of, lot of, lot of tension because I didn't realize the can of worms that I was opening up. I mean, it's so simple, but not. But that's the way I could help. I mean, there was nothing else I could do in terms of like, you know, be aware and, uh, you know, stop being like a, you know, silly kid. What does trouble look like? Well, we got, uh, we got serious feedback from some of the promoters. Serious feedback. Like, in the hell with you guys. We're not booking you. And uh, I mean, I, I, I just never dawned on me that, you know, there was that much. And then I look at uh, 2022 and I see this is still going on. And I say like, okay, well. I guess I was a little ahead of the game, like maybe 60, 70 years. <laughs> History is cyclical and things, some things have certainly gotten better. It's, it's hard to argue that, but uh, talk about wake up calls, I think for a lot of people, particularly a lot of white Americans, the last couple of years have been a wake up call. You know, people believing that a lot of these things were in the past and then suddenly you realize they're. You can't ignore Not, them when they're in front of your exactly, face again. Exactly. I mean, it's it's uh, it's an interesting time to be alive, to say the least. Having seen these waves, having seen that things change, but fundamentally maybe things don't. Is there anything that makes you hopeful? Oh, yeah. Young people. I, I really have a lot of faith in young. I mean, first of all, they're so smart. You know, they're so far, far, you know, how I'm, worldly is the best word I can use than, than, you know, we were. I mean, you know, like I say, when I was that age, you know, uh, they're connected, certainly connected universally. There's no doubt about it, which may be good, but I think it's, I, th I think it's important that they be aware that there are other countries in the world and there are uh, other races in the world. I'm not so sure that was the case. You know, back then we were a little bit isolated, you know, especially way back when. That's fair. And, and certainly that's something that, that technology has opened up. You know, we're speaking to each other in different time zones. But um, you were always a seeker, it seems to me. And that is something that I appreciate you having listened and read interviews that you've done recently. You understood implicitly that there was more out there and you tried to find it. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's very important. But I just don't see, like, for example, when we talk about a country like Iran, for example, what I've been told, and I'm, I may not have the exact numbers, but I think the younger population outnumbers the older population by maybe like five to one. And I do not believe that the young people want to go along the lines that are being rigidly driven for that, written for them. I think they just want to rock and roll and have a good time and actually touch their girlfriends and listen to music and have an iPhone. I, I just see that as 
That's the hope I have. I think that the young are going to save our planet. In your early 20s, you ended up with a guru, as you said earlier. Is that, do you have to seek that out? I, I, I assume that a guru isn't somebody that just who sorts of, sort of pops into your life at, a, at one point. No, you know, seriously, uh, uh, I, 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 I was reading this book, which I highly recommend, called Autobiography of a Yogi. Autobiography of a Yogi was written by a, one of the first, first yogis to come to America. Uh, and uh, at the end of the book, it says, if you need a teacher, if you're looking for a guru, ask and he will come. And, and believe it or not, that's what happened. That's one of those kind of abstract pieces of advice, right? What does asking mean? Just sort of putting it out into the universe? Exactly. And it happened. And it happened. And, and again, I have this in the book, but it was just like, I was, okay, I guess here he is. You know, I mean, it was just like that. It's in the book, but I still want to hear it out of your mouth. What was that experience like? Well, what happened is I, uh, I was asked to do, we were asked to do a television show. There was a pilot. There was a friend of ours who, who had a, a big uh, kind of famous nightclub in New York called The Scene. His name was Steve Paul. He also managed, in later years, he managed uh, Johnny and Edgar Winter. And uh, you know, many people would go there. Jimi Hendrix would go there, and you know, Tiny Tim would go there, and Jose Feliciano would go there. Well, he called up and he said, um, "Would you guys do me a favor and and come to uh, you know be on this uh, potential pilot television show for WNEW Channel Five in New York at that time?" Of course, you know. I mean, he was a good friend. You know, he he helped us when we needed it. And, you know, we helped him when he needed. And I walk into this into this show and. Believe it or not, there there he was, circled by a group of young people, a man in an orange robe, sitting there, you know. And I said, "Oh my God!" I mean, I, I don't even think it was two, three weeks after I finished that book. I didn't want to finish the book because I was just like I was immersed in this land that you know. I, mean, I never heard of anything like. Isn't that an amazing feeling? It was an amazing feeling. What made it clear that he was your guru? Oh well, that's a great question. You know, um, actually, you know, he did because of the fact that, you know, uh, it's as big a decision for him as it is for us on the other end. Uh, this gets really into the philosophies, but I mean, when someone takes you on as a disciple or a student or whatever you want to call us, a uh, follower, they're taking on a big responsibility, big responsibility for us. And in 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 a, in a real you know karmic sense they're taking your karma that's a big word and they don't just sign you up you know what i mean you don't just go in there and pay you know some money and you get you got you got to kind of be around a while you got to prove yourself that you want to really do this cuz he told me that he said you americans you guys are just amazing he says in other words like if i told you i got a pill right here that could make you a a cosmic scholar I said, I take it in two seconds. He said, well, there's no pill. <laughs> you got to work and earn it. So, you know, he has to accept you. And yes, you have to accept him, you know. And, you know, it, it's really, I guess you can kind of say when you find a soulmate or something like that. I mean, you know, there's like a, oh, my God, this is this is it. This is really cool, you know. You don't have to really use much intellectual kind of like decision making, you know. 
I really like the pill analogy because I think that was particularly well. It was particularly relevant to that that point in time. Obviously, it's something that's still happening, and I I don't have any sort of moral or ethical issues with people taking drugs responsibly. But it does seem to me I wasn't around then, but it does seem to me in hindsight that people have always been looking for shortcuts, and they thought that they would find shortcuts in a literal pill. Well, take a look at TV. I mean, like I tell you, what, what problems do you have? Take this and you'll be fine. Forget about changing your diet and maybe, you know, like, you know, <laughs> doing a little exercise and getting enough light sleep. Take this pill. You'll be fine. I mean, it's just a way of thinking. And, you know, yeah, we're, we're you know, the Western world is kind of like, we've really got that in our culture, no doubt about it. But I cracked up when he told me that because it's it's true. And I told him, yeah, take it in two seconds, bro. You know? <laughs> we touched on this a little bit before in terms of life lessons of, you know, the very early days of the band. But, you know, insofar as you're comfortable discussing your, your big takeaways and, and the, I don't even know if advice is the right word, but mm. the knowledge that he bestowed upon you oh, yeah. that really had the effect of changing your life for the better. What were some of those big takeaways? Well, the big takeaways, uh, I mean, the simplest ones are the uh, physical part of it, you know. I mean, basically, the, the formula that uh, most gurus do is uh, is just a simple kind of mental, physical, spiritual health. In other words, like, okay, clean up your act, you know, and clean up your act means what, what are you eating? You know, what are you smoking? Uh, does your body move? I mean, do you actually move your body? Yeah, I mean, seriously, what are you thinking? What are you exposing yourself to? Because, you know, over the years, you know, like, I, I really spent a lot of time just kind of like being around him so I could hear his uh, his thoughts, you know. And, uh, you know, people would ask him questions like, well, hey, how about, what's, can I go to a porno movie? What do you think? You know, I mean, oh, like a priest. You should hear the questions. You know, me seriously. And, and he would, you know, he he would look at it and say, well, look, just, just be aware of what you're doing when you see that. It's going into your subconscious, and it's alive there. And it's kind of like, you know, you got a photograph in there, you know, and the photograph is, is there. It's in your album. You want it there? Be careful, you know. So, like I say, it's up to you. I'm not going to say good or bad, you know, because he had his, 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 his thoughts about good and bad like, I'll give you an example. Like, you know, somebody would ask him, you know, well, he says, well, what's good and bad? What's good and evil? He said, well, let's, let, let's take electricity. Is it good or is it bad? He says, if you plug your iron in, it's good. You plug your finger in, it's bad. So I learned like these little kind of just simplistic kind of thing. Stay healthy. Keep your body clean. Keep your mind as clean as you can. And being, you know, the rock and roll business. Hey, man, you're kidding me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I did the best I could, you know. And, 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 and seriously, it, it has helped me. And with all due respect, knock on wood, I'm in my late seventies, man. I'm still, I'm still out there doing it. So I owe him a, a debt of health as nothing else, mental and physical. You're still doing it, but I would extend that to just say that you're still with us and you still have your faculties, which is a lot more than I think no, a lot of no, your no. contemporaries can probably well, say. No, no, I, I got to say my, my bandmates, especially it's kind of sad, you know, cause now, you, you got to pay attention. You know, we all have a genetic makeup, obviously. We all have certain, you know, things that are going to happen unless we really take care. Well, I, my advice is take care because if you want to be around here, just pay attention. <laughs> obviously, the band went through a breakup and really at a time, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the sense that I get is you you were still 
on top while the wheels came off. Yep. Was he was he around for any of that? Oh yeah. Well, you know, uh, interestingly enough, uh, prior to the actual uh, departure, uh, how should I put it, of my my uh, writing partner and friend there, Eddie uh, Brigatti, uh, he had quit once before about two years prior to that. Uh, we were still on Atlantic at the time. And uh, I proposed a meeting with Swami. Uh, and, and, and it was so interesting because here we are there. We had the, the band, we had our, we had our accountant, <laughs> we had our, we, and, and we had, uh, around this holy man. And, uh, you know, we were trying to make Eddie kind of see something, you know, uh, what do you think? And, and so the teacher, the guru told him this, said, look, he used to call him the happy monk because uh, he, he never met any, I never met anybody like Eddie <laughs> from my band. He was, he was from, you know, New Jersey, which is kind of like, another planet to most of us, you know. But he said, look, you know, he says, I, I want you to be aware of something. He said, when I, when I came to Hawaii with you, we brought him out there, you know, as, to be our guest, to kind of like just be in his presence, if nothing else. I saw the gift that you were giving to the fans, talking to Eddie. They love you, want you to be there because of the energy that you're giving out to them. Don't you understand? This is what you were put here to do. This is your job. This is your call, calling. Get it? And and basically, it it worked for a short period of time, you know. And 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 but he he did come back, but he didn't really come back all the way in terms of like you know his work. And then after that, he left. But yeah, he tried. You know, he he tried to do what he thought was. And I, I, I I'm, there was no prodding on our part. I mean, that was his opinion. You know, he he thought he belonged there. It sounds like you were trying to keep things together. Yeah, well, I think you know, like if if you look at a lot of other groups, like like uh, there's another group out there, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. You know, uh, you you'll. I mean, if you read their book, I mean. Yeah, no, I haven't, but I, I know that that is a at least to me sort of the big difference there. You know, because obviously we we talk a lot about egos when we talk about music, but these are three or four guys already well established who are then in a band together, and that's really hard to keep together. Well, the guy who kept that together was Graham Nash. Graham Nash has a really tactful way of doing things. You know, he's 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 the kind of people you need in the United Nations. You say that, and and I'm like, yeah. If you ask me who the level headed one in Crosby, Stills, and Nash is, I would probably say Graham Nash. That yeah, makes a and lot and, of he, sense. and he went out of his way to make make nice, make amends, and to stop the warring parties. You know, and it's great because to a degree it worked, but there's only so much it can do. You know, <laughs> it's exactly kind of like what's going on in the world right now. Oh my God, do we have to talk to some people here? Boy, woof. Does the band keep going for a little while after Eddie leaves? Well, uh, no, we, we kind of splintered, you know, and uh, it, the, the interesting thing is when he left, it was it was right at a contract signing. We were going to, a, you know, we were like free agents going from Atlanta to Columbia. So I tried to assemble a new band, a new group, uh, you know, around, you know, the, the name, if nothing else, you know, and um, it was a really good band. But, you know, the thing is, when the public, you know, I'm just looking for, you know, reasons why. But, I mean, they really stretched out. You know, I, I took it in a direction that basically I think we needed to do anyway because the business was changing from an AM business to an FM business, from a singles business to an album business to a jamming business. I put some really great musicians together. and you know, But, you see, the thing is that public sometimes they lock on to who you were rather than 
you know, and so, okay. But, you know, I still, you know, enjoyed the Columbia albums. And, and the good part of that is that, uh, long answer to a short question, but in Japan, they voted uh, one of those Columbia albums to be turned into a digital album, to, uh, which we didn't have that yet. We were on analog. And that was Peaceful World. When the band splinters, I mean, you, you're, you're, you're what, probably in your, what, early 30s at that point? Yeah, just about. Yeah, you're still a young guy. You've still got your life ahead of you. Um, are, are you thinking about going back to medical school, or what is what does the future look like at that point? No, you just keep. You know, basically, you say, well, okay, well, you just uh, keep on going. You know, I mean, like I say, you just do the best you can, and you know, like I, I mean, look, first of all, you have to enjoy what you do, and you know, if you don't enjoy being in the music business, seriously, you you really should do something else because it's not easy. But what is easy? No business is really easy, I don't think. So you just keep going and, you know, try to, you know, overcome the hurdles. I mean, the emotional part of it is, is was more difficult than the actual, like, you know, realistic part of what am I going to do now? I mean, I was very hurt, you know. I still am extremely disappointed. You know, it, it's, it's sort of the same thing as, uh, I, you know, like if you get a divorce, you know. And you had all these great moments together, and then oh boy, you got some bad moments together. You know? When you describe that moment with the Swami in the room, the, the first thing that popped into my head was you know sitting around with your your soon to be ex spouse with your two lawyers in the room. That's that's what that moment sounded like to me. That that moment there, and, and again, I put this in the book. It was magic, magical, and I could tell you that because, like I said, I don't know who's going to read the book and who's not. But I was sitting, you know, and there was a line. It was like a circle around him. And the tradition is when you when you see a, a, a guru. Uh, when I said it sounded like a divorce proceeding, I meant when you brought him in to talk to Eddie with the manager oh, in the room. Oh, that. Yeah. That sounded like all the stories I've heard of, of divorces of, you know, being there with your, your ex, soon to be ex-spouse and two oh, lawyers no, that's, in the room. That's a lot worse than that, believe me. No, it was very gentle and very kind. But, you know, I, I had, unfortunately, somebody took a tape, but I had an actual tape recording of that whole meeting. And I really understood. Yeah, I, I understood what was what was going on in, you know, Eddie's brain at that time to a degree because of the, his responses to the questions, you know. And it's better that I don't say anything about it because, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get any more lawsuits. But, you know, the bottom line is I, I understood, you know, you know, it's like, oh, you know what's happening like with these tennis people like Naomi Osaka? You're aware of all that, you know, and like Simone uh, Biles, the phenomenal, there's a lot, well, a lot of mental kind of like kind of issues that happen to people, you know, and, um, you know, I guess, you know, someone really should know how to deal with that. But again, I, I, I think that that someone should be a professional rather than just, you know, hey, I, I read this in a book, you know, you should, you know, and that's what, you know, I think they're trying to do is to say, hey, look, you know, these, these people are talented athletes but they're human beings and you know they may have some they, they just have to talk to someone and get it talked out or talked in maybe take some time off you know or something like that you know because it's kind of sad watching what's going these these young people are going through right now and look after a pandemic of course we're all screwed up come on man we're, we're not we're not and they're similar in that they're they're young people who are experiencing success at a very early age you know when in a lot of ways their brains are still forming. Like, there's no way that's not going to leave a mark on you. 
I know, but I mean, I, I, I think it's taboo. To, I, I mean, don't they understand? These are human beings. I mean, gee, you know, like, God, give them a break, you know? I would say I think that that is a way that society is starting to get better, that I, that I think we are at very least getting better about having those specific conversations Absolutely. and shaming people. Absolutely. I mean, you know, because, you know, there always was this kind of like negative look towards, well, you're going to a psychologist? You know, yeah. yeah, I'm going to psychologist, you know, and because I need some help. Jeez, that's so bad. I mean, I got a headache. I, I mean, I, I, I've got a, 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 a God forbid, I, I go to a doctor when my arm hurts. You know what I mean? Well, when my head hurts, I go to a doctor. And, and you know, the, the, the absence of that in our police force, you know, the absence of that in our society is causing a lot of trouble. Did you seek that kind of help? Were you able to get that kind of help in those moments? Well, here it is. Very simple. When I met the guru, I keep going back to that. He said to me, he said, first of all, I want you to check me out. He says, isn't that how you people talk? And I said, yes. He says, I want you to make sure that everything I'm telling you, I'm living. Otherwise, don't, don't, don't do what I'm about to tell you. And I said, okay, I'll check you out. I'll check you out. He says, I'm going to take your brain and I'm going to shape it to where it should be. Just relax. See, because the theory is this, every 12 years, every cell in our body changes. So if I have that energy, that vibration, that holiness going into every cell of my body, I'm going to be fine. You don't need to really go into specific like, you know, gee, you know, like I, you know, I think this, I think you don't have to do it. Just do the techniques. You'll be fine. And, and I believed it and I still believe it, you know, and, and as I say, uh, he, he, was walking and talking and doing everything till he was 90, you know, so. It sounds like the book is something that you've been working on for a long time. Well, I, 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 I don't know if I told you how it started, but we did a tour, uh, a Broadway show called Once Upon a Dream in uh, 2013, 2012, uh, Steve Van Zandt. And so to publicize it, they would have press conferences. And so the four of us would get on stage and somebody would ask us, questions and and i noticed that every single one of us had a different answer for the same question <laughs> so i said okay i think i better bone up on my world history because i'm not sure that custer really lost that battle maybe maybe he did maybe he didn't you know because how do you know unless you were there you don't know so i said well let, let me start let me start at least writing things down that i remember while well, i can still remember because i could have sworn i was there you know and uh, and then and then it dawned on me, I guess through somebody that I was working with at the time, that you know rascals were only five or six years out of my life. What about the rest of the years? Maybe somebody might be interested in that. I said, okay. So we started started digging into the past and talking about it. That's that's how it happened. That is a wild thing, specifically about rock and roll bands versus pretty much any other occupation. You know, the Beatles were what ten years all told. Well, yeah, but boy, did they make an impact. <laughs> wow. Sure. No, but that's my point is, is wow. And the rascals did as well, but it, it's just sort of yeah. remarkable that it, what percentage of your life ultimately that incredibly important period was. It was yeah, not, yeah. not that much time. And probably when you're going through it, 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 you know, it, it felt like forever, but in hindsight, what's five, six years? Exactly. You know, exactly. I, I mean, uh, this story, I really don't think uh, rock and roll bands are that much different from, it's just that they're more publicized what, what happens to people like us, you know, rather than you go into the corporate uh, 
you know, like you look at some of these movies that they've had about the Gucci's and stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff going on. We don't know about them in, in those families. Let me tell you. <laughs> now that the book is finished and is coming out, I mean, was there a sense of, or have you gotten a sense of catharsis through it? I mean, was this an opportunity beyond just being able to sort of tell these stories and remember these stories, were you able to sort of exercise some of those demons? I imagine so, you know, except for, you know, I, I really think I've kind of risen above a lot of the, you know, the the, the, the negativity and, and things like that, that that has happened because, you know, I, I'm basically an optimistic, positive human being and I'm very fortunate. I mean, I really am. I've got a great family, got great grandkids. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm very happy, man. Like I say, okay, you know, I'd like to be able to dunk a basketball, but I can't, you know what I mean? So I don't, I don't get upset about things like that. Uh, yeah, I, I tell you what, what, what really came, came out is, is that I really have tremendous respect for these people like Stephen King and John Grisham that pour these books out like nothing. I mean, my God, I, I did one. It took me forever. <laughs> you know, so I have a lot of respect for authors now because that that um, that verbal kind of like output is is really interesting. It's like rap songs. I mean, I tried to write a couple of rap songs. It's not easy. Really? Like a, oh yeah, I, it's not that easy, man. I mean, telling you because you have to be able to put that rhyme scheme together with you know kind of a different word wordage, and uh, yeah, it's not that easy. Really, not that easy. You got to tell me real quick what was the context of you writing rap songs. Well, it wasn't really a rap song, like, you know, like the real, you know, down, down and deep stuff. But I, I wrote a song. I did an album with Steve Cropper. Put, we put a tentative rap song on it. It was, it's just like, it was a talking song. You know what I'm saying? And boy, I tell you, it was really interesting. You know, and that was like when, when, you know, like, uh, what's his name? Will Smith. And they had that type of raps out. You know what I mean? You know, it was not like today. Fresh man. Prince. Where they really, really, but I'm telling you, man, these Snoop Dogs and these guys, they, they, they really, that's not easy. I love that stuff too. And it's, Do you? All right. Uh, I'm an all kinds of music kind of guy. Yeah, good, good. That's good for you. But it's tough. It's tough to, to pr- uh, produce that stuff. This is an argument that I've had with my parents on many occasions <laughs> where, you know, they, they are very much, and, and, and I, and I, and, you know, not to cast any versions, but probably this is maybe a feeling that's present with a lot of people of their generation that, that hip hop is talking over music gotta be a shock to a lot of folks i mean to hear what this stuff is but yeah but i mean this has been happening ever since you know we dropped from uh from the the 45 minute classical piece to the two minute 30 second rock and roll piece i mean everybody's what the heck's going on here you know i must admit it's getting a little far out though you know it really is <laughs> i i think the fact that you've held on for as long as you have and that, that you do appreciate that our firm speaks speaks well of you too but it's funny you talk about this sort of positivity that you've had and, and i always think about got all these like music books on my shelf and and you know everyone loves the story of oh you know he he write he wrote these happy songs, but beneath all of it lied this you know this dark tortured soul. But it sounds like the guy who co wrote a beautiful morning. I mean, it sounds like that's that's your character, that's your personality, that that's who you are. Yeah, it is, and you know, you got you got to really. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you're fortunate to have a good childhood and good parents, and you know, like uh, a lot of people don't have that, you know what I mean? I understand. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I know what goes on in a lot of people's lives. I mean, you know, I had some tragedy in my life like everyone else. But again, you know, when, when you find a, uh, you know, a way of thinking that kind of, uh, it, it just kind of 
understands, if one, if nothing else, what what this is all about here, you know, because what this is all about here is uh, it, it's written in a lot of, uh, you know, like for example, Torah. You know, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot going on in our earth that if we want to find out about, you know, it's always been chaotic. I mean, this is nothing new, you know, and uh, we'll see what happens. This is a really difficult time right now. For anybody to keep up their their positive opti- optimism, believe me, I know. And you know, you have your moments when you don't know what the heck's going to happen next. I don't know, man. I, don't, I wish I could tell you. 